Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you don't know this, many of you do. I was raised by a boxer. Dad's here somewhere today. And um, when you're raised by a boxer, how many of you know things are just different? <laughs> Dad boxed in high school and then some golden gloves and then boxed for money. And, uh, and then he boxed some for neither high school golden gloves or money. <laughs> when I was a kid. And, and he kind of wanted us to be boxers too. He actually had us, you know, training for fights. And I can remember my uh, boxing instructor, his name was Orlando Moon. Isn't that a great name for a boxing instructor, Orlando Moon? And, and so we, you know, uh, did uh, training and different things and, and actually had some matches when we were kids. And one of the things I realized is they hit you back. <laughs> And that wasn't a good thing, so I'm a lover and not a fighter now. But uh, Steve, he was, uh, you know, Division One football player, and he got kind of into karate. But in the summer, he would do a tough man contests, so he would go fight for money. So we, we went around that all the time. And I remember when uh, I was little, they said I went to some of Dad's boxing matches, but I was so small, I, I can't remember any of those. But uh, they said Mother would take me out and I would uh, watch Dad fight. And then when I was older, I'd watch Dad fight too, but it wasn't in the ring. <laughs> and uh, so I, I can remember when we had some Christmas cards, uh, and I saw them later. It was Dad standing uh, at a, uh, a speed bag. And he would, uh, you like my cool shirt? Matt Chambers made sure, he said, you got to wear this shirt when you preach this message. So he, he made the shirt for me, and it's got a cool back on it too. Yeah, thank Matt and Tanner and Ronnie for putting this together. And so Dad was standing there, and they took the picture of him at the speed bag, and on the Christmas card, it was Dad at the speed bag, and it said Merry Christmas, and had his picture there. And he taught me years ago how to do a speed bag, and it, it, it's, it's a little tricky. You have to kind of get in the rhythm, and I haven't done this in about 40 years. But, you know, you, you, you can just get going really good on that. And it's a lot harder than what you think. You think, that's easy. That, that's not easy. Especially if you can get it going really, really fast. Um, I, I heard this story about a woman who, she was in front of the full-length mirror in the bedroom. And she said, I really don't like what I see. I look old. I'm wrinkled. I'm overweight. And she looked at her husband and said, I could really use a word of encouragement now. And he said, your eyesight's almost perfect. <laughs> And the next line was, and that's when the fight began. <laughs> Would you stand with me this morning? I want to give you a couple of verses, one out of the Old Testament, one out of the New Testament. How many of you are going to help me preach today? Because I think we're going to, we're going to go to a series through the entire month uh, about this subject, the fight. You and I are in a fight. And we have to understand the fight. We have to perceive the fight. We have to get into the fight. Uh, this is Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 19. This is when God sends Jeremiah out with the message. He's the prophet of God. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. And then this is 2 Timothy 4, 7, a verse you're very familiar with. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And that's Paul sharing with us that we're in a fight. How many of you know the fight was in the old covenant? The fight's in the new covenant. 
covenant. The fight was in the Old Testament. The fight's in the New Testament. All of us here, we're in a fight. Whether you want to be in a fight, you're still in the fight. Whether you think you're in the fight, you're still in the fight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We love you. We we're so grateful that you have called us by your name. Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to our mind and our spirit with your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn and tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're here today. I don't think you'll disagree with me that the church in America has a decreasing influence. The church in America is having a decreasing influence. I was listening to Jimmy Evans uh, talk about this. So much of what I'm going to say really comes from him because he got me stirred up. Um, I want to give you this morning three questions and three keys to the fight. Three questions, three keys. So here's the question. If the church in America has a decreasing influence in America, why is that so? Why is that so? And is that true? Researchers tell us that 65% to 80% of all churches in America are either declining or they're plateaued. I'm glad that I'm in a church that is vibrant and still wanting to move forward, aren't you? I'm glad I'm in that kind of church. But 65 to 80% of all churches in America are either declining or they're plateaued. They're not going anywhere or they're going backwards. 40% of Americans say they go to church every week, but they say half of them are lying. So about only 20% of, of, of people in America go to church once a week. Now, one of the things that this does to us is that the American church has a um, kind of almost irrelevant part in our culture today used to be a huge part in our culture, but increasingly more, we have become more irrelevant to our society. The fastest growing group as far as religion in America, you know what it is? It's 22.8% uh, of increase, atheists, agnostics, and those who say I don't believe anything. The next fastest group of growing religious entity in America is Islam. About 3% or so um, growing every year. There's about 3.5 uh, Muslims in America today. In the next few years, it will be double. So what happened to the American church? Where are we? What, what should we look at? How, how should we perceive this? And I think we should look at it. Um, so the second question is, has the majority of the church in America lost its identity? Have we got to the point where we don't really know who we are? And we should know who we are, right? So let's go back to the first mention of the church in the Bible. Do you know where it's at? It's Matthew 16. If you want to turn there, please do. Uh, Jesus is addressing his own disciples, and he asks this question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And there were many responses. Some say, well, you are John the Baptist. Some say you're uh, Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter, we know, Peter spoke up. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I want to pick this up in verse 18. And I say this unto you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Would you repeat that last line with me? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's, let's try one more time. Let's all participate. Here we go. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's the word of the Lord. This is the first mention of the church and the church is connected to in this passage to the gates of hell. Now, one of the things we have to understand here, that the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell are not stronger. 
the gates of hell are not more powerful. The gates of hell is not superior to the church. Do you believe that? Now, that's what Jesus said. Now, folks, as the gates, the gates do two things. They keep people out and they keep people in. There's a lot of people who are behind the gates of hell. They're locked into a situation. Now, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we needed to be rescued by a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. There is no other Savior. So we are rescued from this condition of sin behind the gates of hell. But there are many people still through addiction, through issues, through anger, th that sin nature, that, that carnality they have, they blow up. I mean, it, it, affects, it affects marriages and kids and, and cities and it's pervasive throughout our society. But he said the church was able to storm the gates of hell. And he said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Now, Jesus' description of the church is an invasive conquering force. An invasive conquering force. That's why we have missions. That's why we have evangelism. Because the mentality is we have to be invasive. We can't sit back and sing the old hymn, hold the fort till Jesus comes. Great hymn, horrible theology. Hold the fort because I'm coming. No, he says we are to be invasive. We are to be proactive. We should storm the gates of hell. And if you do that, you're in a fight. And so should we fight? Here's the third question. Have we lost our courage to fight? It takes courage to fight. It takes energy to fight. And it takes a big reason to fight. Let me tell you a personal story. Uh, this is true, and I don't know if Carrie's here this morning, but we kept the grandbaby for the first time. It's her first overnight stay uh, from her mom and dad at our house last night. And I called her earlier, and I said, are you going to make it? She said, me and Riley are trying to get dressed. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> But in 1973, Carrie and I got engaged to be married. The engagement lasted a very short time. Uh, it went south on us. And we, we, we got into uh, some disagreements and things happened. And she gave me the engagement ring back. And, and I was pretty devastated. Here's the ring. I said, I don't want the ring. Whether you want it or not, here's the engagement ring back. So I bought her an engagement ring. She gave it back to me. And we didn't see each other for months at least four, four and a half months. We, we had no contact, didn't call, didn't see each other. Uh, I went my way, she went her way. I dated other people, she dated other people. And uh, I came back one Christmas uh, time and uh, I'd lived off about two hours away and I came back to see our family. And when I got in Duncan, I got in trouble. I know this is very unusual for you to think that about me. <laughs> But I got in trouble with the law. I had to go to court. And I remember Dad telling me when I was a grown-up, he said, if you ever get in trouble, don't call me. He said, I'm going to come bail you out. And I didn't call him, and he didn't come bail me out. So I got in trouble with the law. I had to go to court. It cost a lot of money. And uh, so I uh, was getting ready to go back to school. I had some court costs to pay. And so I was cutting firewood to make some extra money. And I remember... I'm out way back in this place, and I see this lone figure walking across the pasture, and I thought, who is that? And it was her, and, and she walked up where I was, and um, she said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm cutting firewood. She said, no, what are you doing? She said, are you trying to destroy your life? Now, how many of you know when you're in your 20s, you're really macho <laughs> and dumb? 
so she says, what are you doing? Are you trying to destroy your life? And I said, why do you care? It's nothing to you. You gave me the ring back. How many of you know you just got this chip on your shoulder? I said, what do you care? She said, well, even though we're not engaged to be married, she said, you don't have to go destroy your life. Well, through that meeting, we kind of got back together. We, we connected, started talking to each other, calling each other. Then the next year, we were engaged to be married again. <laughs> and so we, we later got married. But here's what I want to tell you. Um, I had to go back to a couple of girls that I dated and, and I said, listen, I, I'm not going to be able to uh, see any more my, uh, you know, ex-girlfriend and I got together. They didn't know who Carrie was. but So I told them that and anyway, then she had dated some guys and, and so one of the guys didn't want to break it off with her. And so he kept calling and even showed up at her house a couple of times. Well, she told me, wrong thing. <laughs> So the next time I'm driving back through town, this is, you know, sometime later, and, and I'm at a red light, I'm stopped, it's a red light, and, and I look in my rear view mirror, and guess who I see? It's this guy is in the car behind me. I just put it in park, got out of the door, walked back, he rolled the window down, and I said, listen, you do know that Carrie and I are back together. I said, I don't want you to see her anymore. And of course, he said a few words. I said, I'm fixing to pull you out through this window. <laughs> And I want to beat you up right here in the street. I, well, I've got cars backed up, people honking. But how many you know there's some things in your life worth fighting for? Now, understand, I was young and dumb back then. But there are things in your life and my life that we need to be concerned about and is worth fighting. Now, the church, and here's the question, the church has to have courage to fight the good fight of faith. The question I ask, has the church lost the courage and the willingness to do that? I don't believe the church has. I believe the church still has the willingness and the courage to fight the fight that we need to fight. We're not here just to protect our turf, even though we are. We're not here just to be social. We're not here just to have spaghetti dinners. We're not here just to look cool. We are here to fight the kingdom of darkness. We are here to storm the gates of hell. We are here to do what the church was created to do. We are here to take territory from the devil. He will not give it up until you take it. And he will not give it up until we take it together. I've got territory. You've got territory. All God's children's got territory. We have to take the fight to the enemy because he's going to take it to you. And, and I've met some Christians who says, well, I don't want to do that because the devil may attack me. Honey, he's going to attack you anyway. That is his being. That is his call. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. He's going to come after you anyway. So you need to take the fight to him because that's what we should do. Have you ever realized that when you read your Bible, so much of biblical terminology is warfare? Can I just give some of those to tweak you a little bit? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Put on the whole armor of God. Fight the good fight of faith. You have girded me with strength for the battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or worldly, but they're mighty to the pulling down and the demolishing of strongholds. Blessed be the Lord who trains my hands for war and my fingers to fight. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Paul told Timothy, suffer hardship as a good soldier. By you I have run through a troop and leaped over a wall. All those are warfare terminologies. 
When I did the early service this morning, a gentleman came to me and he said, Pastor Mike, do you remember? And I, and I did remember. He said, do you know that David used to always go out with his troops to battle? And the one time he did not go to war with his troops is when he got ensnared with Bathsheba. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been in the fight. That's where he should have been. And you need to be in the fight. Whether we are 16 or 6 or 66 or 106, we are all in this fight. And we have to understand that. So what are some of the keys to the fight? I want to give you three. If you have a pencil and paper, take it out. The key to the fight, first one, is we have to know that we have an enemy. We have to know that we have an enemy. Sounds simple, right? We have an enemy. Well, you can't fight an enemy that you don't know that you have. In 2009, the Barner Research Group did a nation, national-wide, nationwide poll of Christians about various spiritual beliefs. 59% of Christians agreed or somewhat agreed that Satan is not a living being, he is not real, it is only a symbol of evil. How can we fight if 60% of the church doesn't even believe the devil is real? How can you fight the enemy that you don't even know that exists? How many of you know we do have an enemy? The enemy is real. This is not make-believe. This is not fairy tale. Almost 60% of the church that was polled do not believe that the devil is even real. You can't fight an enemy you don't even think exists. Paul kind of put it this way. He says, I'm not one that shadow boxes. He says, I'm not shadow boxing. He says, I know who I'm fighting. I know who I'm boxing. I know who I'm warring against. You and I have to know who we're warring against. We have a real enemy. Do you know Satan is mentioned 56 times in your Bible? That devils are referred to 55 times in your Bible? Evil spirits are spoken 41 times? There was a real enemy that made war in heaven. There was a real enemy that was cast from heaven to the earth because Jesus said, I saw him fall. There is a real enemy that tempted Jesus in the wilderness. There's a real enemy that is roaring and roaming like a lion in your life and my life. That enemy is real. There's a real enemy that's trying to come to your house and my house, your marriage and my marriage, your finances and my finances, your kids and my kids, your grandkids and my kids. That enemy is real. And we have to fight against him and the church is called to storm his gates. And if we don't storm his gates, we're not doing what he said the church should do. The first mention of the church is in correlation to the gates of hell or the gates of Hades. And this is the good news. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Hallelujah. I'm about to preach myself happy. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Can you say that with me? That he might destroy the works of the devil. We're not here to play patty cake with the devil. We're here to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. 
are we moved enough? Are we conserved enough? Are we passionate enough? Are we mad enough to fight the fight? You know, sometimes you just got to get mad enough to fight the fight. 700,000 children are abused each year in the United States, either by neglect, sexual abuse, physical abuse. 42% of all marriages in America usually end up in divorce. 10 million women and men will suffer domestic violence. Close to 17,000 people will be murdered this year. 400,000 robberies will occur. There are 60 wars in conflict around the world right now. 60. Most of them you haven't even heard of. I, I did some research. Some of them I didn't even know. Jesus said, in the last days there shall be wars and rumors of war. Sixty of them going right now. Uh, Carrie and I were going somewhere Friday night, and I'm kind of rehearsing what I'm going to preach about. And I said, do you, do you know the top three conflicts of loss in life in the world right now? And she named all three. I was amazed that she got it. You know what the number one is? Syria. More people are dying in Syria today than any other place in the world. Second one is Afghanistan. You know what the third one is? Mexico because of the drug wars and, and regional wars and, and uh, different aspects of the people in Mexico. There are more people dying today in Syria, Afghanistan, and Mexico than any other place in the world. And listen, there's tens and tens of thousands of people all over the world dying because there's conflict. This is what the enemy's doing. Do you realize not only abusive children, worldwide there are 50 million abortions going on every year. This is, what the, this is what the enemy's doing. Is the church going to be concerned enough, passionate enough, mad enough to say, we're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're not just going to sit back and let him have his free reign, but we as the church are going to storm the gates of hell and understand they will not prevail against us. Can I hear an amen? That's what we're called to do. Here's the second key to this fight. The church must be proactive and invasive. The church must be proactive and invasive. Now, you've probably never been attacked by a gate. Gates just keep people in, keep people out. Now, when I said that this morning, one of our veterinarians came up to me and said, well, pastor, one time I had a bull who stuck his head through a gate and the bull and the gate both attacked me. I said, I got it. But you know what? Gates don't really attack. They just try to keep people in, keep people out. But are we willing, as a church, to be proactive and invasive? And I think we must, because that's the DNA of the church. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist unto now... The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You know what John the Baptist came doing? He came preaching the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. To bring the kingdom of God at hand, according to Scripture, it takes violence. Because there's a force that doesn't want the kingdom of God to come. There's a force that doesn't want you to hear about the gospel. There's a force that doesn't want our young people to hear about Jesus Christ. There's a force in our cities and in our nation that doesn't want the Ten Commandments, prayer in school. We can go on and on and on. So what are we doing? We're in a fight. He is forcing. He's pushing. And the church has to push back. And the Bible says in the gates of hell will not prevail against us if we push back. Not only just push back, but how many of you know we need to be on the offensive? 
We need to outthink him, outwork him, outspend him. We need to be we need to be active in doing what we do. I never wanted to, and I've said this so many times, I didn't start out to be a pastor or preacher. God had other plans. Um, but in that call, I never wanted to be a part of a church to just sit on the corner for a hundred years, held hands, sang kumbaya, and went on. That's not my DNA. That's, that's not my passion. My passion is I want us to be involved in the community and the school and children and young people. I want us to be involved in missions, not only here and locally, but around the world. Why? The church must be a proactive, invasive force. Because the enemy is invading television and movies and music and schools and drugs and, and smoking and, and, and marriages and all kind of stuff. And we just sometimes sit back and just let him permeate all the way through. But the church not only has to push back, but take ground. So we must take ground. Now, let me give you a key to this word violence here. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. It means to use and apply force to press and to seize. To press and to seize. Luke 14, verse 28 through 31, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation he's not able to finish? All who begin to see mock him, saying this man begin to build was not able to finish. Or what king going to war? Against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. All of the terminology that Jesus gave in that passage is warfare. And I'll tell you why. He begins by saying, you've got to love him more than your mother and father. He even used words like, unless you hate your mother and father. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to hate our parents, but this is what he's saying. You've got to love me above everybody else. You've got to love me above everybody else. And he ends this passage by saying you've got to take up your cross. And unless you're fully committed, this doesn't work. I remember some of the guys here, and, and I grew up in the Vietnam uh, era and, um, you know, had my draft number, lottery number. The, the Nixon entered the war before I uh, was called. But some of the guys that I went to school with had to leave the dormitory to go to Vietnam. Uh, some of the guys here, you were in Vietnam. And I remember some of the church members sharing with me that when they got there and they had their first battles, fear gripped them so much it was almost paralyzing. And they said they had to resolve in their own mind to say, I'm probably not going to come home. I'm probably going to die here. And they said, when I came to that place where I thought I may possibly die, then I was free to do what I was called to do. But I almost had to come to the point that I'm going to die so I can do what I'm doing because the fear was so paralyzing. I think what Jesus is saying, if you're not all in, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, when he says you've got to sit down and count the cost to build the tower. The tower referred to here, and if you'd like to look that up, is a military tower. It's a tower that's a bastion on a citadel or a wall or a castle or a watchtower that we're familiar with in the book of Ezekiel. And the watchtower was military because they would have these towers throughout the land and they would have them on the borders and they would connect from one to the other. So if they saw the enemy coming, the tower could signal the next tower, then the next and the next and the next. How many of you know they didn't have internet back then? 
some of you don't even know what that uh, means not to have internet all your life. Um, but, but anyway, it was the way they signaled back to say an invasive force was coming so they would have some time to get ready for the war and the army that's going to come to try to take them over. And then he says, who is going to war that you don't sit down and look to see if you can't win the war with what you have? Now here's the good news. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. So we've already won the war before the war starts. But you've got to fight it to win it. You've got to be in it to win it. And so many people are not in it to win it because they're just sitting back, I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm not really debating that. There's a lot of people going to go to heaven. But honey, if we're going to take ground, you've got to fight. You have to be invasive. You have to move forward. Now, Jesus is giving us insight about the church. The church must be an invasive force rather than a static, stationary entity lacking passion and movement. We have to be moving forward. Jesus is sending out the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. Say that with me. These 12 Jesus sent out. He didn't say sit here and wait for people to come to you. He sent them out. What is that? That's an invasive force that he sent out with his power, his name, to do his work to bring the kingdom of God. So he sent them out. Verse 7, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. So he sent out the 12. Luke 10, he sends out 70. So there's 12, now there's 70. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face to every city and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 17, listen as they returned. And the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Now, how many of you believe when Jesus says that, he meant what he said? So he says, okay, 12, I want you to go out. I'm sending you out. 70, I'm sending you out. But before I send you out, I'm going to give you power over all the power of the enemy. How many of you know there's more than 12 here today? There's more than 70 here today. There's more than 100 here today. There's more than 200 here today. There's more than 300 here today. I'm not going to keep going. But how many of you know, we are to be salt and light, evasive in the, 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 the sedentary life, but invasive in the fight to go take the fight to the enemy. So when you go to school, when you go to your job, when you go to your friends, your family, then you should be salt and light. I should be salt and light so that we can take the kingdom of God out there beyond these walls. We have a beautiful campus here. But how many of you know most people aren't going to come to this campus? They're going to come because you have stormed the gates of hell. And you will have success if you're willing to do what he said to do, to be invasive, not rude, not obnoxious, not unwise, but to share the kingdom of God. And the greatest way we share it is to live it. 
We just live it. Your light, your salt, your character, your integrity, your kindness. Live it. And when you live it, guess what? You're storming the gates of hell. Because there are people trapped behind the gates. They're trying to get out. And some of them don't know how to get out. They do not know how to get out. And here's the third thing and the last thing. We must realize that Christ has invested his victory in us already. How many of you know he's already won? He won this from the beginning. We just have to rest in his victory. We have to rest in his glory. We have to rest in his authority. So now we as the church that is called to storm the gates of hell, to be that invasive force to take the kingdom of God, like the 12, like the 70, like all of us here, whether it's your school, your job, your home, your family, your marriage, then we're taking that good news to the places that are in darkness. Darkness can in no way overcome light as long as the light is on. The only way that darkness invades is when the light is off. But as long as the light is on, darkness can never invade the light. How many of you know that's just absolutely true? Because light is greater than darkness and Jesus is greater than Satan. So therefore, the authority that we have is greater than the authority of the enemy. If you and I exercise the authority that we have, listen to me, he says, I give you some power over the enemy. No. I give you a little bit of power over the enemy. That's not what he said. He said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy and nothing by no means shall harm you. Now listen. There's some of us here today, we need to fight for our marriage because attitudes, grievances, past, mistakes have tried to come in and put our marriages behind the gates of hell. So there are people here today that need to fight for marriage. We all have to fight for our marriages. I'm going to say something to you, and I think you're going to agree. There are no easy marriages. I, I, I meet people, they say, you know, we've never had a fight in our life. I said, what planet are you from? <laughs> what planet are you from? Because if you're going to be married, someone said, well, you know, when you're married, you become one flesh. Well, it's sometime after the honeymoon, you figure whose flesh you're going to come to. <laughs> some of you here today that need to fight for your children. Send them to school. Get around a group of friends. Habits start coming in. Drugs. A lot of peer pressure. Got to be cool. Got to do this. Dress this way. Be this way. Act this way. Conform to culture. Be part of the society. Oh, the devil is so sneaky, isn't he? He comes to kill. Steal and destroy. Send him off to college. Guess what? He has a professor there to tell your child and my child, you're not a product of creation. You're not created in the image of God. You, you, you are part of evolution. You became you from the goo through the zoo. That's how you came 
about. You're not a part of God's plan and you're not a part of a loving God and you didn't come from anywhere, you're not going anywhere. Let me tell you, if you didn't come from anywhere, you're not going anywhere, there's nowhere in between. You want to know why people get depressed? You, you want to know why life seems uh, kind of senseless? Because they've been taught that. No, no rhyme, no reason that you're here. You're just a product of some random event. No, my friends, you're a product of a loving God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. That's who you are, and we have a fight to get that message out and keep that message because there's going to be some goofy professor that couldn't find any other job unless he was a goofy professor. I'm not lumping anybody and everybody into that. I'm just saying. He said, well, I'll send my kid to a Christian college. Let me tell you, they're goofy professors at Christian colleges. They'll unwind or try to unwind everything you put in them at a Christian college. I know that personally. Some of you do. So we're fighting for our kids. They leave our home. They get with a group that begins to sway them and convince them. Now all of a sudden we're, we're trying to fight and guess what? You can fight. How, how many of you know that father in the story of the prodigal son it appears that every day he's looking down the road. I don't think this was a random day that he saw his son come home. I think every day he was looking down the road. Can you imagine every day when he got up, he looked down that road and he said, Father, I'm praying today that my son would be released from the gates of hell. I want my son to come out of that hog pen. I, I want my son to come out of that lifestyle. I want him to come out of that thinking. So, Father, I'm praying that you would help. Listen, this is the story of God and us. And maybe today you have a, a loved one, you have a child, a son or a daughter that says, hey, I don't believe in God. I don't want to follow the way that you're following. Just fight the fight. Pray the prayer. Keep going because this is a fight. Some of you here today, you're disenamored with the church. And I understand that. You know why some people don't go to church? They've been. Isn't that true? And you hear this, and I've heard this, well, you know, I, I'm not going to go to church because I've been hurt in church. <laughs> you can't go to church unless you get hurt in church. Well, pastor, you don't understand. No, I don't. I don't. I, I, I pastor hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people, and I've never been hurt in church. Never been hurt in church. No one's ever said anything to me or insulted me or contested me. Listen, you can't go to church without getting your feelings hurt. And some people are wounded and, and, and they're hurting and they're discouraged and they're even bitter because they got hurt. And this is what we do. And I'm, I'm so amazed at this and I can say this because I've been around for a long time. Is, is we, we go to church and someone says something or we don't get our way or, or, or really a lot of times we're done wrong and it's really legitimate. I mean, we, we hurt because we were done wrong. And then we do this. I'm not going back to church because I'm hurt. And you know what the devil's doing? He's going. You just play right into my hands. We, we did the very thing he's trying to get us to do. So what do you do? You fight against the discouragement. You fight against the bitterness. You fight against that feeling. You can't fight the person, but you can fight your feelings and you can fight the enemy, the real enemy. There's an enemy behind the enemy. And sometimes we don't understand who the real enemy is. 
We fight against the people, but listen, the Bible says your fight is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and wickedness in high places. That's where the battle is. You, I, I want you to leave today and say, I'm going to go punch the devil in the nose. If it was that easy, I'd already punched him. <laughs> but that's not how we fight the fight. It's with weapons that are not natural weapons. It's through prayer and worship and faithfulness and commitment and the Word of God. That's how we fight the enemy. Are you going to fight for your health? Are, are we going to pray over those who are sick? Are we going to do what the Word of God says? Are we going to stand here and anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith over them? That's what we should do because that's what the Word says to do. You have to fight. I have to fight. So I want you this month to get the mentality that we are in a warfare. I didn't make this up. This is the Word of God. We are in a warfare. But the good news is this. We win. But we have to take the fight to the enemy. Well, Pastor, I'd rather just sit here and sing. Hold hands. That's great. But in the morning when you get up, get on your knees and make a stand. In the morning when you get up, Start praying for that son. Start praying for that daughter. Begin to call their name out before the throne of Almighty God. And say things like this. Satan, you can't have my kids. Because I'm going to war for them. I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to battle for them. You can't have our marriage. And listen, I realize this. You, you can't unilaterally save a marriage. I mean, you know, it takes two to tango. But if they have left, you can still do what you should do. And you're calling out on God. Two is better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. There's you and them and God. And he is our defender. He's our warrior. But you know what? He's called us to war. Fight the good fight of faith. And I realize every Sunday when I stand in front of you, there are people that are hurting and they're wounded and they're beat up by life. Get up. Dust yourself off. And say, I'm going to fight. I may be battered and bloody. I may be knocked down. But I tell you what, a good man will get up seven times. There's no fighter that's ever fought that hadn't been knocked down. You know how they win? They just keep getting up over and over and over again. Would you bow your head with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.